It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, December 3rd, 2021. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. Two new coronavirus cases were reported in Sitka on Wednesday, keeping the community in high alert. The new cases bring Sitka's weekly case rate to 12, according to data from the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. Sitka's alert level is based on the number of cases reported in a seven-day period. The community alert level will remain high until the weekly COVID rate drops below nine. Since the beginning of the pandemic, Sitka has reported 1,242 coronavirus cases, 26 hospitalizations, and five deaths. Dozens of parents spoke out against masks in Sitka's public schools Wednesday during a meeting of the Sitka School Board. The school district requires masks unless the community's coronavirus alert level is low. But so far, Sitka's case count has been high enough to warrant masks all year. Some parents question the efficacy and the safety of masks. Anna Hansen called the school's mask rules unconstitutional. This isn't about whether masks work or not. I believe we've gone past that. This is about government overreach, violating our God-given rights, And forcing Americans to cover their face is unconstitutional. It's unlawful and it's it's wrong. It's unclear whether Hansen was invoking the Alaska or U.S. Constitution in her remarks or what part of either document would preclude the emergency public health mandates. Other parents, like Chelsea McLeod, asked that the district let families decide whether their children don masks in the classroom. Can you guys please consider giving the rights of our children back to the parents. We are in charge of of their health and well-being, and we really want you to be advocates for our children's health. But Sarah Laurie took the floor to challenge the argument that mask rules are government overreach. Each morning we eat food made from FDA-approved ingredients and we take FDA-approved medications. We climb into our cars and we fasten our federally mandated seatbelts. While driving the state speed limit, we might turn on the radio to hear stations broadcasting according to FCC guidelines and perhaps see motorcyclists wearing state-required helmets. We then spend our day at a workplace governed by OSHA. Few people question these restrictions. A mask mandate is not an example of governmental overreach, but is instead another policy intended to help keep us safe. The school's COVID mitigation plan wasn't on the meeting's agenda, and as such, no action was taken by the school board. As of Tuesday, there weren't any COVID cases tied to any of Sitka's schools, even though the community's alert level remains high. But during his report to the board, Superintendent Frank Hauser said he hopes that compulsory masking will be a temporary measure. I've been saying from the start that masks aren't forever since the start of this school year. On Monday, Sitka School District set a goal of transitioning to mask optional in mid-January. That's about two months away, but only a few weeks for school, with winter break and in-service days factored in. Hauser said that plans could change, but he says upcoming changes to how the state determines community risk levels could allow the school district to ease its mask requirements early next year. We're looking ahead after all in our schools have had the opportunity to be vaccinated and setting a goal for the future. I'm very optimistic we'll meet this goal because of the alert level changes likely from the state are generally declining cases and availability of vaccines for all who want them and our vaccine coverage. Sitka is a much different place than many other communities right now, so I'm optimistic about the future and our ability to meet this goal. 
KCAW has reached out to the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services to learn more about changes to the state's case tracking and how it may impact Sitka's alert level. It's been a year since heavy rains and deadly landslides swept through Haines. The small community mustered an extensive recovery effort, cleaning up tons of debris and helping dozens of residents get back in their homes. But some people don't have homes to return to, and it's clear that there's still more work and more healing to do. Claire Strempel reports for KTOO. Haines Mayor Doug Oldroot meets me at the turn to Beach Road and doesn't cut the engine. Last time we were here, a huge landslide had just torn through this road. It destroyed houses and killed two people whose bodies were never found. So yeah, last year when we had that interview, this is where we're at and we had the gate and barricades across here. There's still an orange caution sign, but now a temporary access road passes through the debris. From far away, there's a huge white scar on the side of Mount Riley. Up close, it's hard to imagine what kind of force could pull down this much of a mountain. And have you been up to the slide at all since it happened? No. Okay. We're driving because Ulrud says he doesn't like to walk it. There's no other traffic, and wet snow sticks to the windows of his truck. It's a tough drive. We can both imagine where the houses used to be. One home is still there, but knocked off its foundation by trees and rocks. It looks like a toy next to the huge swath of turned up earth. Yeah, it's, it, I, I haven't gotten used to it yet. In the early months after the slide, no one was allowed out here. Residents fought for this road to cross the slide and retrieve the belongings they left behind when they fled. Only once we get about half a mile past the slide, things start to look normal. And then you can see we've got people out here, their driveways are plowed, um, especially at the far end of Beach Road here where they are out here. Several of them are very happy to be out here. Um, the borough got power out to the end of the road by July. But to access these homes, you need to pass through what the borough calls the red zone an area that's geologically unstable. We turn at the end of the road and come back the way we came. As we get closer to the slide, the driveways aren't plowed anymore. This is where people haven't come back. I think right about in here is about where we're at for the red zone, an area that they thought this would be the most vulnerable. The borough is still waiting for answers about the long-term stability of the area. A landslide contractor promised a study by the end of December or early January. Their instruments are visible in the snow. Beach Road is what most people outside of Haines might think of when they think of the December weather disaster. But destruction was spread throughout the Chilkat Valley. Landslides damaged and destroyed homes on Lutak Road, and flooding wreaked havoc on roads and homes in the town site. Ulrud estimates 40% of households in Haines sustained some kind of damage from the storm. The work of the last year has been putting homes and infrastructure back in order. So for the last year, my life has been dominated by disaster recovery. And up through February, it was volunteer. The Chilkoot Indian Association hired Sylvia Hines to manage a $900,000 federal housing grant to help the Haines recovery. She's also coordinator of Haines's long-term recovery group. They've put 16 households back in their homes since this summer. I'm like, yay, it's not 23 anymore. <laughs> like, that, like that never feels like success to me. I think that, yeah, that's I think part of the story that the recovery needs are so enormous. The response has also been huge. Her recovery team helped over 130 households that needed assistance. They disposed of nearly half a million pounds of construction and demolition debris. 
They partnered with an international disaster response group that helped with cleanup and pledged to rebuild two homes. We've made it much more progress in the last year than I would have imagined when we were in April. It just seemed that the the road seemed endless and seeing what we've accomplished in the last year from all these different organizations and all these different individuals, it means a lot to me. After last year's slides and flooding, nearly two dozen households were displaced. More than half of them were from Beach Road. There are seven left to go, including the Wish Stars. We're all just trying to like figure out our footing in a very kind of groundless situation. Vanessa Wishstar and her family lived in a home right next to the path of the slide. Now they're in the lower 48 with family, trying to figure out how to make Haynes home again. A lot of our neighbors have um, kind of are all in the same situation that we're in of kind of uh, either living with family. A lot of them, actually, most of them are living with family um, or just kind of bobbing around, bouncing around and also searching for work. She says she's still terrified when there's a downpour or when a train passes by. Sounds that are too close to what she heard when the mountainside came down around them. Last year, she told me it sounded like a dragon. So fearsome, it was unreal. Back on Beach Road, with the truck's heater blasting, Mayor Olrud says the human healing from the storm is going to take much longer than fixing the physical aspects of it. And that's the, t- that's the toughest part, because it's a lot easier to hold all that inside than it is to to be vulnerable with each other and let people know that you know, this still sucks. This year, it isn't raining on December 2nd. The temperatures are normal for December, below freezing. And there's even some sunshine in the forecast. Reporting in Haines, I'm Claire Strempel. Taking a look at the community calendar. A reminder that permits are not required to cut a Christmas tree on the Tongass National Forest for personal use. One tree per year is allowed for each household. There are a few rules and regulations. You can find them on the community calendar posting. The deadline to enter the Library Grind Composition Competition is Sunday, December 5th. Videos of haiku, performance poems, or Weird Al-style parody songs that sing the praise of reading, books, and other important library business, no longer than two minutes, can be entered. Entrants can tell about their pieces and get more information at tinyurl.com slash librarygrind. The Alaska Marine Safety Education Association conducts a fishing vessel drill conductor class at 8 a.m. today at the Northern Southeast Regional Aquaculture Association. Register at amc.org or call 907-747-3287. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. 